Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We're brought to you today by ExpressVPN. Sadly, no good martinis unless you count the firing of the Jets' defensive coordinator. I guess that might make Jim a little bit happy, but I think he wants everybody fired there. Uh, two bad martinis and a crazy martini. Uh, Jim, let's, uh, let's talk about bad martini number one, and that is that California Attorney General Javier Becerra, former Democratic member of the House of Representatives as well, is Joe Biden's choice to be Secretary of Health and Human Services. This is not one of those situations where we could say, well, obviously not who we would want, but it could be worse. Pretty hard to think of somebody who would be worse at this job than Javier Becerra. This guy is pretty much a total ideologue. Kamala Harris, who is uh, in line to be the next Vice President of the United States, of course, opened the legal war on uh, the Center for Medical Progress, the group that did the undercover Planned Parenthood videos about the sale of aborted baby body parts. And instead of prosecuting the people engaging in trafficking of human body parts, no, they went after the people who actually made the undercover videos and exposed all this. Then Kamala Harris got elected to the Senate. Javier Becerra has been persecuting uh, David Daleiden and uh, his associates ever since. So this guy is a, a major abortion ideologue. And then Axios drops in this little nugget, Jim. Uh, Biden's campaign envisioned a substantial role for HHS in addressing the public health effects of global warming and pollution. Biden's campaign platform vowed to launch an Office of Climate Change and Health Equity at HHS. It also calls for an HHS-led task force to decrease risk of climate change to children, the elderly, people with disabilities, and the vulnerable. So, Jim, this sounds like a lot of money uh, for things that we don't think are going to accomplish a whole lot. But uh, we know where this guy's going to stand, and it's with all the radical elements of the left. Yeah, so let me just start things off, Greg, by emphasizing I do not want Greg Williams and Adam Gase fired Uh, You misheard me, Greg. I want them set on fire. Um, (laughs) The second thing is the only silver lining to hearing that uh, Javier Becerra has been nominated to be Secretary of Health and Human Services is that means he has not been nominated to be Attorney General. Correct. Which was the other bad option and would also be very, very bad there. This is probably now the the new top of the line of guys that the Republican Senate will want to stop, which, by the way, if you're in Georgia, today's the last day to register to vote. this is, yeah, he's bad. And an interesting point made by a, a friend and, and person I listen to every now and then, Ellen Carmichael, uh, used to work for the late Herman Cain, worked also for Tom Price for a while. And she points out that, you know, Becerra, as a state attorney general, look, he's got no meaningful healthcare policy experience. He's got no practice. Uh, as you mentioned, Greg, he's spent his time harassing providers and conscientious objectors. Now, contrast this with Tom Price, right, who had spent three decades as an orthopedic surgeon, had his own practice, former budget committee chairman, authored a comprehensive healthcare review, the doctor's caucus, you know, he was endorsed by every healthcare group under the sun from, you know, academic groups, medical societies, spent his whole career focused on healthcare practice. And his nomination was confirmation was a, it was a bit of a struggle for the Trump administration. So if Tom Price has a hard time with this, there's no reason Becerra should get a free pass. Um, the only other note I would say about the uh, observation about the healthcare climate change intersection that uh, Biden sees them interacting on. Um, first of all, wasn't John Kerry going to be handling this with the National Security Council, Greg? Uh, that is the foreign policy dimension, not the uh, domestic. <laughs> yeah. 
And so is the EPA just going to be twiddling their thumbs? Right. You know, if, if everybody in the government is in charge of climate change, then it means nobody in the government is in charge of climate change. And it's setting up a lot of um, turf wars. So maybe there's a silver lining to all this is that everybody's going to see climate change as their uh, particular area of, of policy, you know, uh, fiefdom. And you could see some infighting on that. But uh, at this point, you got to hope that Republicans will you know, send a clear message to Biden and say, oh, no, no, you thought we didn't like Neera Tandon. We really don't like this guy. And we are unlikely to confirm. Yes. And one of your first points, I think, is even more important uh, as we exit this discussion, and that's that people in Georgia, you got to vote. Don't listen to the insane people. Get out there and vote. And as Jim said, make sure you're registered to vote as of close of business today. And so one of the reasons we don't like Javier Becerra in a major role, whether at Justice or HHS, is because we don't like being told by the government very often what to do. That's kind of how this country was founded. But more and more, we are uh, seeing more and more people try to control our lives. And that not only includes the government, it includes big tech. Did you know that a single company controls 90% of internet searches, runs your email service, and gets to track everything you do on your smartphone? Big tech is more powerful than most countries are, and they profit by exploiting your personal data. It's time to put that layer of protection between your online activity and these huge tech companies. And that's why you need ExpressVPN. Think about how much of your life is on the internet. Sadly, every site that you visit, every video you watch, or every message you send gets tracked and data mined. But when you run ExpressVPN on your device, the software hides your IP address, something that big tech can use to personally identify you. So ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your internet data to keep you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your network. And ExpressVPN does all of this without slowing down your connection. That's why it's rated the number one VPN service by CNET and Wired. What you probably like most about ExpressVPN is just how easy it is to use. Download the app onto your phone or your computer, tap just one button, and you are protected. So stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that mines your activity and sells your information. Protect yourself with the VPN that you can trust to keep yourself safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash martini. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash martini to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash martini right now to learn more. All right, Jim, let's move to our second bad martini now. And I know you and our listeners are going to be shocked to learn that perhaps the most egomaniacal governor in America, and it's a tough competition, but I think we've got a leader, uh, actually runs a toxic work environment. That would be New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. This all started with someone simply sending out a tweet, name the worst job you ever had. And Lindsey Boylan, who used to work for Governor Cuomo, simply says, most toxic team environment? working for at New York Governor Cuomo. She says, I've had many jobs. Waitressing at Friendly's as a teenager was an infinitely more respectful environment, even when I had bad customers who tipped poorly. She says, if people weren't deathly afraid of him, they'd be saying the same thing, and you'd already know the stories. Then she, uh, part of her story got in the Daily Wire. Boylan, whom the New York City Campaign Finance Board listed, as having been the Deputy Secretary of Economic Development in New York State and Special Advisor to the Governor wrote, 
Seriously, the messages and texts I receive when I speak the truth about this, it's a whole book of people who have been harmed. Don't be surprised that it's the same small group of white people sitting alongside him at every presser. The same group that he has had by him the whole time, doing his dirty work. If you're not one of those handful, your life working for him is endlessly dispiriting. I tried to quit three times before it stuck. I've worked hard my whole life. Hustled. Fake it till you make it style. That environment is beyond toxic. I'm still unwrapping it years later in therapy. She doubled down again. I stand by what I said, and what I said speaks not only to my story, but countless others, predominantly women I've interacted with or heard from over the years. Seriously, the messages and texts I receive when I speak the truth about this, it's a whole book of people who have been harmed. And so, Jim, uh, he's got his inner circle. Everybody else is kind of considered uh, dispensable, I guess, or not worthy of respect. Hard to believe a guy with the ego of Andrew Cuomo would uh, conduct an atmosphere like this. You know, Greg, this is our second bad martini of our podcast and our you know second news item of the day. But is this the least surprising martini we've had in the entire year? It's one of them. I, you know that, that that Andrew Cuomo would be a colossal bad word and and pain in the neck and uh, creates a toxic work environment and he's a narcissist and egomaniac and and you know. Uh, creates innate distrust. I mean, he's probably the second worst type personality type uh, for this in the entire New York area behind Adam Gase. <laughs> and I just kind of would just observe that like some, something interesting, the more time I spend around politics, covering politicians, talking to staffers, talking to people, crazy people are attracted to politics, right? Crazy people are attracted to power. Most people, if they have any inkling of the kind of responsibility that comes with power, they they remember the Uncle Ben speech from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. It makes them reticent. It makes them reluctant. They kind of have a certain amount of healthy fear of, good heavens, if I'm in that position, will I make the right decision? In big, these big decisions weigh heavily on them. They aren't the kind of personality where they'll make a whole bunch of decisions and then write a book talking about how great they are before the pandemic is over to pick a random example there. <laughs> the second thing I've observed in all my years of writing about politics, Greg, is that occasionally you'll run into somebody and they'll say, oh, yeah, they're really different from who they are behind the scenes and who they are in front of the cameras. They do exist. They're not enormously common. But, yeah, you do find them. But I, I have yet to see, Greg, anybody who really comes across as a jerk on camera who turns out to be a really pleasant, even-tempered, and easygoing guy behind the camera. Generally, if they come across as a jerk on camera, that's who they are behind the scenes. So despite all the PR efforts of, of uh, Chris Cuomo, uh, Andrew Cuomo might be uh, exiting 2020 with uh, <laughs> a little more uh, a little more baggage than uh, perhaps uh, he wanted and probably still not as much as he deserves. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next. Uh, Jim, let's move on to our Crazy martini. Now, and this is a double-fisted crazy martini. It has to do with opening up the schools and the unions. Let's start with uh, the Chicago Teachers Union. This is from the Washington Times. The Chicago Teachers Union sparked a backlash on Twitter Sunday after declaring that the push to get children and teachers back in the classroom during the coronavirus pandemic, of course, is rooted in oppression. Quote, the push to reopen schools is rooted in sexism, 
Racism and misogyny. Bingo. Uh, the 28,000-member group tweeted to its 54,000 <laughs> followers. The tweet was immediately criticized, with many users pointing out that school closures and remote learning disproportionately affect lower-income and minority students. The Chicago Teachers Union later deleted the comment, writing, Fair enough. Complex issue. Requires nuance and much more discussion. More important, the people the decision affects deserve more, so we'll continue to give them that. Despite that walkback, though, the union appeared to express support for its initial comment by tweeting a GIF in response to two users who said the union was right. Then, in another tweet, they said, quote, We hit all the nerves today. Imagine if that passion had been there long before COVID-19. Perhaps black and brown families wouldn't be so mistrustful of a system and a society that doesn't value their lives. So that's fun. They don't want to go back to school, Jim. The unions don't want to be back in school unless... You give them a lot of money. And that's where Joe Biden comes in. He was uh, interviewed over the weekend and says that to open elementary schools, the unions are just asking for $100 billion. So let's just do that. Um, I've spoken with the leaders of the unions. And, um, and I've, uh, there is a clear plan that's been laid out. We can safely open those elementary schools where the highest risk of people transmitting the disease, number one. Number two, we can make it safe for teachers if we invest in what needs to be done. Number one, sanitizing the schools. Number two, making sure that they have ventilation. Number three, making sure there's smaller pods of children, meaning you need more teachers. You got to pay for this stuff. It was estimated that we could open those schools for somewhere around $100 billion nationwide. That would be the cost for a year. So, Jim, uh, here you got the unions still doing what they were doing last summer, where we want this political agenda or we don't want to go back to class, showing that, as usual, the unions don't actually care about the kids. They care about their power. And it looks like we've got an incoming president who's going to do whatever the unions want him to do. Yeah. And by the way, this comes on the heels of Biden saying the kids need to get back in school, a message he was much more comfortable expressing after the election than he was before the election. Uh, regarding that particular tweet from the Chicago Teachers Union, Greg, you and I have joked in the past, the company or your organization's unpaid intern should not be running your, your company's uh, organization's <laughs> social media accounts. I know you're like, oh, the young kids, they understand this stuff. No, 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 you don't want them to do that. And maybe it wasn't some, you know, uh, 20 some, early 20 something intern who handled this. Maybe it was just a nut. But either way, you want the most sane person in your organization to be running the social media accounts, not the one who's going to be most provocative because they're going to create you know, issues like this one. Um, just kind of a general wrap up on, on the issue of you know, reopening the schools and getting kids back into classrooms, even if you're only doing a certain days of the week. The uh, Washington Post editorial board, not consistently conservative by any stretch of the imagination, um, has a rather forceful uh, editorial today. And there's kind of this interesting little detail about it. I mentioned this over on the corner earlier today. Quote, we recently asked a top official in a Washington area jurisdiction who insisted upon anonymity why there wasn't more of a push to figure out ways to return children to the classroom. The answer was that there is no political pressure. Parents of means can give their children the help and resources they need or switch them to a private school. Parents of minority or disadvantaged students with the most to lose have the least clout. And the uh, conclusion is vaccines are on the horizon, but students have already lost too much time. Dr. Fauci is right. Close the bars and keep the schools open. 
Greg, there are like Chicago, you can put this in the category. I think most big cities, certainly here, uh, both uh, Washington, D.C. and the su surrounding suburbs. Look, these are highly Democratic areas. They are deep blue. They're about as deep blue as they get. And I'm sure every vast majority of both voters, city officials, uh, Board of Education members, all of them are convinced they're caring people. They're convinced they believe in equality. They convinced they believe in trying to maximize the opportunity so that every student can succeed, but not if, you know, it means crossing the teachers unions. Uh, that's the line. That's where they'll, they'll well, okay, hold on. Well, at that point, I'm, ris I'm risking my job. I can't dare do that. And that ultimately is where we've seen things. I, I expand on this point in the corner post that like these deep blue parts of the country have really terrible problems of inequality. San Francisco maybe is a vivid example. LA, the, the bigger and wealthier your city is, the chances are there's a really big difference between your wealthy and generally, but not entirely white neighborhoods and your poorer and generally, but not entirely minority neighborhoods. And the quality of the schools is usually enormously different. And you have generally have, for those who have bad public schools in their area, wealthy people can send their kids to private school. For example, like the uh, superintendent of the Alexandria public school system, which has been entirely online back since March. But the superintendent believed that his daughter needed a high school experience, so he sent her to Catholic high school. That's right. Distance learning is good enough for your kids, ordinary folks. But his daughter needs something a little better, which is why he's sending him to, uh, to Catholic school. It has been a really vivid and revealing year for the teachers' unions. They deserve all of the grief that they are getting. It is infuriating that the state of things in the Washington, D.C. area I don't really mind that parents of means can send their kids to help and get the resources they need or switch them to private school, even if it's the superintendent of the public schools, although I think it's pretty revealing. No, no. To me, the real problem is when they say parents of minority or disadvantaged students with the most to lose have the least clout. Those parents need clout. Those parents need the ability to influence or change the system when it fails their kids. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's very clear early on, Greg, Joe Biden is not going to be any solution to this whatsoever. Well, I'll say what I said at the beginning of this particular martini. The unions only care about power. They don't actually care about your kids. But we do have a common thread through today's martini, uh, Jim, from Javier Becerra to Andrew Cuomo to the teachers unions. None of them have a track record worth actually bragging about, yet somehow they all think they're awesome and people keep listening to them and giving them power. It's disgusting. Hey, at least it's Friday, Greg. <laughs> Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our friends over at ExpressVPN, expressvpn.com slash martini. Also, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We love to see your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. They matter a whole lot to us. Also, remember, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day, and please join us Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit DanaRadio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.